Let's recap Season 1, Episode 1, A Better Future is in Your Hands. It was written by Naomi Alderman, the author of the novel that the show's based on. We open with Tony Collette delivering an I Am Iron Man press briefing. The only difference is she won't need an arc reactor to generate her power. Margot is played by the legendary Tony Collette, previously by Leslie Mann, who unfortunately had to be recast due to complications from the pandemic. Margot Cleary Lopez begins as a small-time mayor uncertain how to combat the unique problems presented by a world rooted in patriarchy. Imagine House of Cards if it had started with Robin Wright as the main character. Watch out for Josh Charles as Daniel Danden. He's from The Good Wife. In this show, he's playing the governor of Washington State, determined to crush her from existence. In the brief moments before Margot walks out to present undeniable findings to the public about the power, she recalls flashes of the last six months. And in those flashes, we get our first glimpses of the people who will be the major players in season one of The Power. Like the best trailers, these tantalizing glimpses do more to titillate than spoil what's to come. What you'll remember from these glimpses, all you need to remember, are the sparks sent from women across the world, suddenly expressing the ability to generate electric shock. As Margot takes the stage, she promises to explain all that led to this moment. The title card reads six months earlier, and the show moves to Allie, who will soon become known as Mother Eve. She is played by Holly Bush. Allie begins her life in circumstances not entirely dissimilar from those in which I grew up in Mississippi. The only difference is that I was nearly 40 years old before I found my power. She begins as a 16-year-old girl in Alabama living with foster parents. She's frequently beaten and sexually violated by her father until a voice tells her how to fight back. In the show's introduction for her character, she meets with her parents and a social worker to determine what's best for Allie's future. Allie's mute, silent, or rather silenced. But she will become the voice of a religion and a movement that reverses the gendered power dynamic across the world. We cut to Allie now in church in which the preacher blames Eve. And that common lie signals the moment Allie's voice awakens. Is it a voice? Is it her own voice? Is it truly the voice of God? I believe this is a signal for her developing schizophrenia at the moment her skein awakens. A skein is the new organ developing in the girls that empowers them to generate electricity. The moment Ali's skein awakens, so does her schizophrenia. But there are other possible explanations. Her deep connection to the power may instead have connected her to a unified consciousness between everyone who has the power. It could simply be the voice of God in all her glory. It's up to the audience to decide, unless the show decides for us, but I don't think it's that kind of show. If it is schizophrenia, that of course is different than dissociative identity disorder, in which one person is actually multiple people in one vessel body. But the perceptions and experiences of each identity are as real as if they each had their own body. 
not speaking as someone with DID rather than schizophrenia. My understanding of schizophrenia is that the person's perceptions are not reflections of reality. They are delusions and hallucinations that may seem real to the person, but they're not real in the way I consider a person's alters or fractured identities or whatever appropriate term is right for you in the way those are real. So to Allie, the voice says, no point running, girl. I'm in your head. Call me a guardian angel, a devil. You can feel it, can't you? The power. A better future is in your hands. Now, I say stand aside, Adam Levine, because Adina Porter, that's the person playing the voice, man, they instantly soothe, compel, and disrupt. The voice is never explained in the book. It on occasion shows up as a sort of presence for other characters, but it's never clear if that's truly just literary artifice or the character sharing a connection with an elevated sentience or just their own shameful recollection at what they think the voice might have been after everything they've done under its orders. We'll have to see if the show turns a voice into a more distinct character. I honestly will be thrown no matter what direction they go. Um, Adina Porter, you may recognize her from Paper Girls, as well as several characters in American Horror Story, or Indra in The 100, or Lady Mae Thornton in True Blood. Next, we get to meet Roxy Monk. That's played by Rhea, um, and I'm sorry I cannot pronounce her last name, even though I tried to practice it a few times, I apologize. So what happens with Roxy? Roxy is the daughter of crime boss Bernie Monk. Her story speaks to me deeply about being forced through transconversion therapy in Mississippi in the 90s. My parents were following quote-unquote God's orders to turn me into a copy of my identical twin brother. Even at the end of Roxy's story, the scars of her trauma are described in the book as an inverted rainbow. Boy, that's queer allied for sure, huh? <laughs> so the less you know about Roxy, the more fulfilling each surprise will be. In the meantime, just imagine if Stephen King's classic horror character Carrie had been able to awaken the same power in everyone else who'd ever been bullied. When we meet her, she's doing her makeup, preparing for a big event. Are you crying? Her mom asks. You belong there as much as any of them. But Roxy never felt like she belonged, not even with her own family. There's a pretty funny scene that shows just how violent her family can get when it comes to cake. Then we're off to meet the next character. Now, that's Joss Cleary Lopez. And, oh man, if you don't recognize that, your eyes and ears aren't deceiving you. That's the voice behind Disney's indelible hero, Moana. This time they're playing Joss. That's the daughter of Margot. She's like many other cisgender or intersex or transgender women who struggle with a variety of medical obstacles to society, accepting them as real women. It is this unique experience of bigotry that makes her empathize with one of the only men in the story, who I will not name at this time, to also manifest the power. When we meet Joss, she's browsing social media with a special focus on Ryan, the gender non-conforming boy she's fallen head over heels for. But I want to draw your attention to one moment in particular that highlights this show's commitment to being an ally for all trans people. It's so cool. Nikki DeJager, known as Nikki Tutorials, is one of the most influential names in the YouTube platform's beauty community. She collaborated with Lady Gaga. She's named a global artistry advisor for Marc Jacobs Beauty. Amazing for a transgender beauty expert. But she had no intention of coming out. 
What happened for you over the pandemic, huh? Well, Nikki was blackmailed into coming out as trans over the pandemic in 2020. Fortunately, she was met with the kind of warmth and acceptance she never dreamed was waiting for her. D. Yeager opened her 17-minute video by saying she'd always wanted to share her story on her own terms, but having had the opportunity taken away, she wished to reclaim her own power. Let's get back to the story. Joss looked at those hunky hunky pics of Ryan and she shocks her computer. Oh, she, what happened? So her mom, Margo, calls her downstairs. And the show cuts to Tunde Ida. Now, Tunde is a 21 year old aspiring journalist from Nigeria. In the book, he's the only male protagonist of sorts, but to say more would be a spoiler. The show is clearly keeping Jamert for the right moment. His scenes, in particular, shock readers by subverting our ingrained expectations for the male gaze toward violence. The show promises to subvert our expectations just as neatly, even if you've already read the book. Tunde is on the way to a very special meeting, and his friend Ndudi gives him a rod and uses the rod to beg Tundi to go with her to a fun gathering of girl exploring the limits of their awakened skeins, but he don't know that yet, and they don't quite know that yet either. And he really don't want to go. She begs him and begs him, and then she sees why he doesn't care. <laughs> what she says, is that Tinder you're having fun on your Tinder? <laughs> so yeah, he's about to get a casual hookup. And he has her drop him off so he can go and have sex with Adunola at this posh residence. Um, this scene has been dramatically polished from what's in the book. So once Adonala is alone with Tunde, she explains to him that the girl who dropped him off still likes him after they had a one-night stand. Adonala can tell. But Tunde is a typical boy. He doesn't pay any mind to his friend's lingering feelings for him. He says it's not a problem. That was just a one-time thing. He says it so he and this girl can, you know, uh-uh. And they're going at it hot and heavy when it also gets wet and electric. Those puns are going to be here all week, folks. I hope you're ready for them. Adunola's power sparks him, and he suddenly understands why Nduti was trying to get his attention. It's not just a group of a small group of girls playing and pretending. It's much, much bigger than him just getting laid. Though he makes sure to do that, too, I guess. Um, back to Roxy. She arrives at the big party her dad, the mom boss, is hosting. And her asshole brother Terry grabs her arm and she flips him off. But Terry reveals he dropped a couple of laxatives into the speaker's drink, so this is at least going to be fun to watch. You look like a bag of dicks, Daryl, Roxy says. I really can't tell you anything about her brothers Terry, Daryl, and some other guys in the cast I cannot remember. But it's all to say... Daryl will become Roxy's nemesis in ways she can't imagine, but only because she can't yet imagine her own power. Once Roxy's alone with her dad, she insists to him that she's tougher than Daryl. This may have been her one chance to prove it, but the thing is to her dad, a woman's never going to be the authentic owner of power. She tries, tries. She keeps telling people, I'm Bernie Monk's daughter, as though she is an extension of her father's power. But Roxy will discover that she must find her own place, her own power. Back with Joss, I got huge book smart vibes as she entered the school. The song you hear is A Wizard by Dora Jar. And as soon as she's at school, there's Ryan. This is going to be your favorite cisgender and yet gender nonconforming man in the whole story. Unless you're an asshole, then you'll love 
barrel. Uh, now, if you watch that locker moment between Joss and Ryan Close, you might predict a twist the book reveals immediately, but that the show is keeping a secret for at least the first three, four, five episodes. <laughs> Joss tries to collect herself in the bathroom, and that's where she encounters Anissa Matlock, one of the most amazing gender nonconforming actors in the show and the business. You'll recognize Anissa from Mayfair Witches, The Gifted, The Residents, The Walking Dead, <laughs> And now the power. They're truly an inspiring presence in epic storytelling. In the show, Anissa plays Cat. This is a brand new character created just for the show, and to say this character needs their um spin-off is putting it lightly. Cat is a powerful representation for the place gender non-conforming people have in the world building of the show. It is Cat who recognizes what's happening with Joss and offers them their first point of contact. back with Allie. She is peeling and cutting potatoes for her evil foster parents, and the voice begins to speak to her and to guide her, to show her the way. The voice says, not yet. When the time is right, you'll know. A better future is in your hands. She's then eating dinner with the family, or she's about to. When Allie finally says the words she has forever denied herself, the words that have always belonged to her and never could be taken without her consent. No, she says, no thank you. I don't like meat. Her parents can't understand, but you always eat it. You never ask, she says. And Mr. Montgomery says, well, look who's chatty Cathy all of a sudden. Allie says, I never understood taking pleasure in something's death. Her dad says, don't talk to your mother that way, and Allie says, but you're not my mother, and you're not my father. It's perhaps the first time she has said no to these foster parents abusing her. They tell her, know your place, and she says, this has never been my place. Because once you have seen the truth, you cannot deny it, and she has seen it. So then upstairs, her foster father comes to abuse her, and the voice now tells Allie, it's time. The voice says it ends now, never again, never fucking again. Allie kills her foster father and runs. The mom dilly-dallies in the kitchen and puts on music so she can't hear. It's the reason Allie can sneak past her. She knows like most women do, but especially women who are of color and gender non-conforming, then almost no one will see her actions as the cost of her liberation. We get a brief moment with Tunde. He calls a friend and finds out where the meetings between girls experiencing the power are being held. He knows now he needs to investigate what's happening. Back with Roxy, we get lesbian power, lesbian joy, because Roxy's gay or bi or pan. I'm not sure, but she's definitely not hetero. <laughs> Unless she comes out as a trans man and with this show, you'd never know what twist is waiting for you. So, Roxy's making out with a lovely lady when their playful argument erupts into an explosive electric shock from Roxy. She sees that something is different about herself. She'll soon discover she is different from anyone, even most other girls who have the power. Back with Jaws, she is walking with Cat, who has been experiencing the power for two weeks. So, does it just, like, happen, Jaws asks, or can you control it? Cat smiles. As a gender non-conforming person, they are more in touch with their gender and their power than most cisgender people will ever be. 
Cat instructs Joss to place their hands on the metal pole, and not in the gross shazam sort of way. Place your hands upon my staff. This is gross. Joss says, it doesn't work when I try, and Cat tells her, you're overthinking it. Just feel it. You know what I'd say? You know what it's like as a trans woman? You know what it's like if you get clocked as anything that other people perceive as gender non-conforming? We just get caught up trying to feel a mere connection to our power. And yet, just like Joss being instructed by a gender non-conforming person who has already taken that first step, in time I too discovered what waits within when you learn to trust what you already are. Back with Roxy, she begs her mom for a shot in her dad's business. She wants power. Her mom explains, you know, blah blah blah. It's sort of like the old Charlie Brown teacher cartoon. <laughs> but Roxy puts her in her place. Women like Roxy and her mom deserve power. But Roxy looks at her mom after everything they've been through and she's now you're living off the fruit of your loyons. <laughs> Except that delightful mother-daughter moment wasn't meant to last. It does not last. There is an attack. It is brutal. And the only way for Roxy to defend herself is to find her power now. This is the scene in which we meet Roxy in the book. So the audience really is getting a fantastic and well-deserved expansion of Roxy's backstory. The attack cuts back to Tunde, and he goes to the house where the girls met, and there are black hand marks everywhere, like a bomb went off, or, or there was an explosion of power. His friend sees him and says, dude, you gotta go. Because, <laughs> yeah, then other girls see there's a man in their space, and his friend attempts to fight him off, and she loses badly. One of the girls stalks her so hard her skin lights on fire. This is essential storytelling. The audience needs to know that girls are not immune to each other's shocks. Rival factions will lead to a unique kind of war as the series progresses. You could think of this as everything you hoped Game of Thrones would be, set in sort of modern times. Back with Roxy, this badass bitch awakens after the horror she just survived with her mom. She's covered in blood, but she is finally present. We cut back to Allie, the voice is telling her, you'll see the signs. As Allie awakens too, she raises her hand outside in nature, brings forth electric shocks that symbolize an awakening of power across the world. We see that same thing with Roxy. After having murdered her would-be assassins, Roxy returns to the party. The very visage of classic horror character, Carrie, having awakened to a purpose not even Stephen King could imagine. Do you think he likes the show? How about the book? She goes to her dad, who pretends he didn't know anything about it. Her brothers feign horror. I'm not really gonna hide the spoiler that these dudes fucking suck. They're evil, but I won't tell you why. It's just, a, man, these guys suck. <laughs> so we go back to Allie, and she's visiting a sci-fi exhibit for electric eels. And, uh, you know, it kind of shows what's waiting for her. The discovery that this is not all in her mind. This isn't a fantasy. It's not a delusion. This is normal. It's just biology. The voice says, this power exists in nature. It was around before you. It's the most natural thing in the world. So, uh, you know, a little Easter egg foreshadowing for what happens in episode four, but this is when Allie learns that eels can use electricity for mind control. One day, episode four, so will she. Now, that's the end of the episode. Roxy and Allie awaken after their trauma. The voice tells Allie, all will work out. She will see the signs. Are you ready?
for the signs.